very familiar portion of Scripture, reading from verse 1 of Matthew 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Pontius Pilate had never met anyone quite like Jesus before. As a Roman governor, of course, not part of Palestine, many a prisoner stood before his court, but none like this man. He no doubt had heard much about Jesus, especially at this time because he would be a household name. These is the last few days before his, hours actually, before his death on the cross. Things had come to a fever pitch against him. He knew that he was especially hated by the Jews, by the religious leaders, that much he could see. Now, of course, to Pilate, Jesus was just another so-called Jewish Messiah. Uh, they popped up from time to time and caused a stir among the populace and then uh, usually uh, very quickly faded away into obscurity. However, here before him, standing right now, uh, amid the highest religious leaders of the land, baying for his blood, stands this Jesus of Nazareth, the soft-spoken, mild-mannered Galilean. The one thing that Pilate would notice right away was that uh, there was no fear in Jesus' eyes. Uh, Pilate had the reputation of being a cruel, callous, brutal governor who would think nothing of executing a prisoner. But whenever he looked into the eyes of Jesus, he saw no fear. He'd never seen that before. Any prisoner standing before Pilate had every right to be afraid, but not Jesus. In fact, it prompted him to say, do you not know that I have the power to take your life? Pilate knew, of course, that Jesus was an innocent man. He had broken no Roman laws. And as far as these obscure Jewish religious laws were concerned, he could not care one jot about them. But he knew that Jesus was an innocent man. But what was it about this Jesus of Nazareth who in the face of all of this 
hostility and vitriol that was hurled against him at this moment. What was it about this man that didn't say a word? Pilate says, do you not hear all these accusations? Have you nothing to say? And he uttered not a word. When Pilate heard he was a Galilean, tried to get himself off the hook, knowing that Herod was in town in Jerusalem, and it was his jurisdiction, Galilee, he sent him to Herod to be examined by Herod. And Herod asked him many, many questions. The Bible says, but Jesus answered not a word. And that, of course, is, reminds us of the prophetic scriptures of Isaiah 53 and 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And then in the midst of this examination by Pilate, Jesus did say something that Pilate just could not possibly begin to understand. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. The only kingdom that Pilate knew was the Roman kingdom. The only world that he knew was the soldier's world, or the politician's world, or the governor's world. That was the kingdom. That was the world that he lived in. That was his world. It was the only world he had ever known. He didn't believe there was any other kingdom, any other world. But yet Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. That must have been sounded very mysterious to Pilate. In fact, it was quite enigmatic to the disciples also. Because when Jesus told his disciples, my kingdom is not of this world, they struggled with that concept also. They had a, an idea of what their world should be like. And as far as they were concerned, it should be Roman free. They hated and despised these cruel pagan Romans. And the world that they envisaged would be a world where there would be no Romans. A world where their nation would be the ruler of all nations. Where their Messiah would come and rule with a rod of iron. And they would be the ones who would be seated on thrones around him. That was their world vision. That was their world view. That was how they saw themselves. And they argued who would be the greatest in that kingdom when it would come. James and John's mother says, Master... Allow my two sons to sit at your right hand and on your left when you come into your kingdom. And so the, the concept, the idea of Christ's kingdom being not of this world puzzled them. It wasn't on their radar whatsoever. So here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount with the secret of supreme happiness. Because basically that's what the word blessed means. Supremely happy. Joyously happy. This was the word that people used to describe the joy and the happiness that only the gods could have. But as far as 
mere mortals were concerned, like them, they could never hope to attain to such blessedness, such sheer joy and happiness. It was only for the gods. Imagine if you took a clipboard and went out into the middle of your town and started a survey. You wanted to know the answer to the question. What fills you with joy? What brings you greatest happiness? What kind of answers do you suppose you would get? A lot of answers, I'm sure. But I don't think you would get somebody saying, I have great joy whenever I am poor in spirit. When I realize my spiritual poverty before a holy God, I have great joy. I have great joy when I'm mourning, not because a loved one's died, but mourning for sin, mourning for the state of our nation, mourning for the state of me. That brings me great joy. I have great joy when I'm feeling meek. I have great joy whenever my heart is pure or I'm being a peacemaker or when I'm being merciful. Or how about this? I have great joy when I'm being persecuted and people are lying and saying all kinds falsely uh, for righteousness sake. I have great joy at that time. I don't think so. I don't think that's the answers that we would get if we took a survey out in the street. Hardly the first thing that would jump to your mind, is it? But that's how very different the kingdom of God is. And that's the title of my message this morning. A very different kingdom. And it is a very different kingdom. This is the manifesto of the kingdom of God. You and I are subjects of God's kingdom. Anyone in here that has traveled at all, in fact, we have some friends in here this morning from New Zealand, friends of Willard there, and they've come a long, long journey and they're worshiping with us today and you're very, very welcome. Anybody who's ever traveled to any other country uh, will realize fairly quickly that you're under a different jurisdiction. Different rules apply. Different customs are practiced. And you need to be careful what you say and how you go. Perhaps different monetary system, certainly a different political system perhaps, uh, different type of rulership. Uh, I remember one of the trips we made to the Ukraine, I think it was that big one where it took 20 Clifford, and uh, whenever you go through this, it was the early days and weren't so fey with the rules and regulations then, and whenever you go through, you, they give you this piece of paper and you're supposed to keep it. So when you get back through again, it, I don't know what it proves, but you have to keep it in your passport. And all of us did except one girl. And for whatever reason, she threw hers in the bin. I don't know why, but she didn't think it was worth much, so she put it in the bin. And that was okay till we got to her leaving. And then lo and behold, it was a big, big problem. This piece of paper without it meant you could not leave the country. Thankfully, Svetlana, our interpreter, was there. Thankfully, she was. And she was able, after some time, uh, to get the whole thing sorted for us. And that taught us a valuable lesson. Never, ever, ever throw a piece of paper away. Stick it in your passport. Even if it's no good, put it in there. 
because somebody's going to be looking at it for the other side. And so these principles we see here lift us to a completely different level. They belong to another kingdom. These beatitudes, or as somebody called them, the beautiful attitudes, uh, these are part and parcel. They are the norm for the kingdom of God. They're not the norm for the kingdom of this world because we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of grace to be able to have these principles or laws, whatever you want to call them, operating in our lives. They demonstrate the Christ's life in us, ambassadors of the kingdom, these are our credentials. When Jesus stood before Pilate being persecuted for righteousness' sake, there was a meekness about him that Pilate had never ever seen before. Meekness is not weakness. It's a tremendous inner strength and Jesus had it in abundance. He had never seen anything like that in spite of all of that crowd, that mob, bang for his blood and lying about him and all the rest of it, Jesus just stood there, calm, in control, at peace. Whenever those Roman soldiers were nailing him to a cross, there was a mercy that flowed from him. And those executioners never ever had heard a prisoner ask God to forgive them for what they were doing to their captive. But that's exactly what Jesus did, wasn't it? So there was a mercy that flowed from him. It's not my intention this morning to elaborate on uh, the Beatitudes. That would require a series of messages and I've done that on more than one occasion. But just to draw to your attention this very different kingdom that we belong to. James and John wanted to call fire down from heaven and burn up the Samaritans. These were preachers. And they wanted to burn up the Samaritans. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. This is a very different kingdom. Peter wanted to chop the heads of those who came to arrest Jesus in the garden, didn't he? Had a swipe at one and missed his head and clipped off his ear, but he wanted to take the head off him. Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given me to drink? It's a very different kingdom, isn't it? What says the law? This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. What says the law? Well, everybody knew what the law says, including Jesus. The law says she should be stoned. That's what the law says. But this is a very different kingdom. And Jesus said, which of you is without sin? Whatever one of you is without sin, you be the first one to cast the stone. Very different kingdom, isn't it? In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Rika, 
shall be in danger of the council. For whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the very last penny. A very different kingdom. Verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise in the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward of you do not even the tax collectors do the same? A very different kingdom, is it not? And that's the kingdom that we live in. And that's the kingdom that we have to contend with. That's why it's not so easy to live in this kingdom unless we get the help of the Spirit of grace. Because these things just does not come naturally to us. In fact, often they just go against the very grain of our nature. So what about this very different kingdom, kingdom of God? I'm not going to differentiate this morning between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. I'm not going into the technicalities of that today. There's a time and a place for it, and this isn't it. So we'll just say the kingdom of God. And you understand what I mean by that. This kingdom, it's invisible, it's not visible. Luke 17 and 20 says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said to them, This kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. It is not a visible kingdom yet. One day it will be a visible kingdom, a literal, material, visible kingdom. In John 18, 36 Jesus answered Pilate and says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered unto the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Did you notice that? But now, at this moment, my kingdom is not from here. Implying that one day it would be, but not now. Herschel Hobbes says about that, he says, between Malachi and Matthew, those 400 sonnet years, there were plenty of Jewish writers who popularized the notion that a conquering military Messiah would come with pomp and power. But when the true Messiah came, he was interested in character, not conquest. He was more interested in men being salt, not soldiers. He was more interested in light, the legions, and even the very disciples struggled with that because they were wanting a Messiah to come to rid them of the Romans. But he says, for now, this kingdom does not come with observation. There will come a day and it will come 
It'll not be hard to see. It'll not be hidden. It'll not be done on a corner. The whole world will know, but not right now. So it's invisible, not visible. It's internal, not external. Kingdom of God does not come with observation saying, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. It's inward, not outward. It's internal, not external. Right now it is spiritual within us by God's Spirit. In Matthew chapter 23, we'll have a little look at this just quickly. Matthew chapter 23. And we'll begin reading from verse 23. Jesus is really laying into the scribes and Pharisees. You know, I said a few moments ago of this mild-mannered, quiet Galilean. But he wasn't always like that. Sometimes he spoke very forcibly particularly with the religious leaders. And he really is laying into them hot and heavy here in this chapter. Verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These ought you have done, these ought you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, then, that, then the outside of them may be clean also. You see, there was laws in the Old Testament regarding cleansing cups and utensils and all the rest of it that God had given. But they added to that reams and reams and reams of other man-made laws to the people who could not bear the burden of it. It was ridiculous nonsense. And Jesus hated it. It was all hypocrisy. And it was all to bind people, to get them under control. It was awful. So he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them of the blood of the prophets. I should have read verse 27. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's strong language, isn't it? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Ah. <laughs> Whatever he needed to be, he could say what needed to be said, couldn't he? And so he was condemning the outward show of the Pharisees who loved to pray in the marketplaces to be seen of men. Hmm? Huh. 
They loved the chief seats in the synagogue. They loved to be seen with all of their man-made rules and regulations and rituals, all their pomp and all their ceremony. Jesus saw right through the whole thing. He said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. He says, you're all bright and shiny on the outside to be seen a man, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. See, the kingdom that Jesus talked about was an internal kingdom. <clears throat> First Corinthians, you don't turn to this. 1 Corinthians 14, 17. Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Corinthians especially, we're going to be coming this morning around the table of the Lord, and the Corinthians especially, Paul had really had to take them to task over the, the nonsense they were doing for breaking bread together to remember the Lord's death. Some was coming with lots of food. It was love feast they were having, and, and others came with nothing, and they wouldn't share with them. And uh, Some were eating meat that was offered unto idols and, and uh, without any feeling of compunction of it. That others were stumbled by that, and it was just a whole mess it was. And Paul says, consider your brethren and all the rest of it. And, because they had made it a whole outward show. And Paul says it's not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and it's peace and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. It's an internal thing. And you made it an external thing. It's not the biggest complaint of the unbelievers to the Christians, hypocrisy, isn't it? Now, lots of times it's unjustified. <clears throat> we know that. But sometimes it is justified. Because sometimes a show is put on. There's much talk, but the life is not lived. And unbelievers quickly spot a fake, don't they? they see it a mile away. And so this kingdom is a very, very different kingdom. It's eternal, not temporal. Psalm 145, 13. It is an everlasting kingdom. Daniel 2, 44 it shall never be destroyed. Hebrews 12, 28, it cannot be shaken. Jesus, in praying that great model prayer for us, what did he say? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this kingdom that we belong to as believers in Christ is an everlasting kingdom. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Read your history books. Great empires crumbled into the dust. They're just a footnote of history. And I'm talking worldwide empires. Gone. Never to be raised again. But this kingdom, this kingdom will be from everlasting to everlasting. That's the kingdom that we belong to today. It's not going to go away. It's not. And no matter how much persecution comes against it, it's not going away. No matter how many atheists rise up and denounce it, it's not going away. No matter how many people backslide out of it, it's not going 
away. It's forever. Aren't you glad you're part of something that's forever? That's not going to be temporal. That's not going to be coming and going with a whim. It's not going to blow with the breeze. It's forever. And that's why this book, this Bible is so important. That's why we take our guidance from it. If we took our guidance from the evolutionists, if we took our guidance sometimes from the great academics, they keep changing their mind. They're always changing their mind of how we got here. But the Bible doesn't change its mind. <laughs> it's still the same. And that's why we believe it. So we can relax and say, we've got the answer. It's here. And it's not going to go away. It's an eternal kingdom. And it's equal, not unequal. Look at, look at Galatians chapter 3 just for a moment. I'll be closing just in a moment. Verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that's not denying nationality. It's not denying that there are classes in society. It's not denying uh, the sex of somebody. But it's saying that in Christ, it's a great leveler. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. Now we know that we have different functions in society. In fact, male and female has different functions even within the body of Christ. But there's an evenness. There's an equality in Christ. That's why, by the way, male and female submit to one another. We hear much about the woman submitting to the man, and that's true. But Paul also said, submit to one another in Christ. If we both submit to Christ, there'll not be problems. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Wonderful thing is, again, if you go abroad and you go to a church setting or you meet believers from another nation, there is an affinity between us. We know that we belong to the same family, speak a different language, wear a different color, but we're the same in Christ. Isn't that going to be the wonderful thing when we get to heaven? How many nationalities are going to be there? Somebody says, well, they all speak their own language. We'll all understand it automatically. I don't know. Will there be a heavenly language that everybody will understand? I don't know. But we will understand each other. And the races will all, even though they're individual races, but we'll all be one in Christ. And that's the wonderful thing about it, isn't it? Just to know that. To know that we can be equal. You see, the Pharisees, a Pharisee had a prayer every morning that he would pray. And here it is. 
I thank thee, God, that I am a Jew, not a Gentile. I am a man, not a woman. I am a free man, not a slave. That's some prayer, isn't it? <laughs> so you can see why that that Pharisee standing in the temple with that publican over there, that tax collector, said, I thank you, I am not as other men. And he went on about his tithing and his fasting in the week, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. <laughs> thank God I'm not like him. That's some grace, isn't it? But this kingdom, once you come into this kingdom, you are on equal footing. The foot of the cross is level, isn't it? We're all one in Christ. And this is a wonderful thing. It's a very, very different kingdom. And Jesus came to raise up this kingdom. And he said, it is within us today. And so it's part of us. We're part of it. It's working invisibly, spiritually. One day it will come manifest physically on this earth and Jesus will come and he'll rule and reign for a thousand years with a rod of iron and every knee shall bow to him and every tongue shall confess that he is the Lord. But right now, it's within us. So thank God for the kingdom of God, a very different kingdom. Isn't it wonderful that we belong to it today? That Christ saved us, washed us in his own blood, gave us life eternal, brought us into the family of God, made us sons and daughters of God, spiritually speaking, and gave us this wonderful kingdom. Lord, we take these two moments, these few moments in your presence, and we just want to stop and give you thanks Bless you for this wonderful kingdom that we're part of. Thank you that we're all equal in it. We bless you for it. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts to come before this table, we thank you for the precious blood that was shed for us. Your body that was nailed to a cross for us. Life that you gave voluntarily for us. Laid it down for us. No man could take it except you gave it. And we thank you for that. You had the power to lay down your life and you had the power to raise it up again. So we give you thanks and now as we get ready to come before this table and partake of the bread and the cup, reminding ourselves of what you have done for us in Calvary and all the blessings and benefits that we enjoy because of it, we humbly give you thanks. Those who are going to serve this morning, could you come please? If you're visiting with us this morning and you are a believer in Christ, 
as your Lord and your Savior, then we invite you to partake of these emblems today. Say, David, well, I, I couldn't really say that I am. Well, then just pass the emblems by when they come to you. But please remain seated. Stay with us for these few moments. Paul said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Lord, we know that these are just emblems, reminders. But we thank you that this is something that you said as often as we do this. So Lord, even though we do it often, we don't want to lose the blessing of it. We don't want to become so familiar with it, Lord, that we forget what it's all about. So we remind ourselves today that this cup and this bread speaks of the body and blood of Christ given and broken for us on Calvary. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice for us, for your grace that we could not and did not and never would earn or deserve. What a joy, what a blessing to know that you love us, that you laid down your life for each of us.